Hello and welcome to this episode of Tez Podagogy. This is the podcast which brings you everything that you need to know about teaching and learning produced by the editors and writers here at Tez. We interview leading academics, start debates about pedagogy and take deep dives into some of the big issues facing teachers today. This season will bring you a wealth of new guests who will all shine a light on their research and how it translates into the classroom. We will also dig into our archive to bring you the best episodes on past seasons. These have all been chosen because they continue to have relevance for teachers today. I'm Kate Parker, a features writer at TES, and for this week's episode, our commissioning editor, Helena Mass, interviewed Dr. Tara Porter. Porter is a clinical psychologist who has worked in general CAMS, paediatric liaison and community parenting projects. For the last 10 years, she specialised in individual therapy with young people with eating disorders, often from a CBT perspective. In this episode, Porter discusses mental health, the toll that the pandemic has taken on our young people, and in particular, the increase in anxiety around exams and assessment. As you know, Helen, I've been off with COVID myself. So the sort of la- the last, this current wave of COVID, I haven't actually seen quite a lot of young people this last couple of weeks. But I think before that, um, I think definitely there was a lot of anxiety about tags. I was hearing a lot of anxiety from schools as well about whether to go ahead with the sort of teacher assessed grades, how to do it, whether to be quite formal about it or whether just to do it in classrooms or whether to do it at all was really going to be the situation where exams were cancelled again. Um, So, yes, there is a lot of anxiety about, but I think we need to both think about what you raised that, that, that about the last couple of years that the current year 11s and year 13s have had, but also think back how we talk about the exams really from year seven. So when we think about the, the current year 11, the current year 13, you're right, they've had their, the, all of their syllabus over the last couple of years disrupted. They would have been in year nine, and year 11, when they started two years ago, it started two years ago today, didn't it? Mm. Um, and, and that is incredibly anxiety provoking in the context of the GCSEs and A-levels being talked about as the pinnacle of their education from when they enter secondary school. And I think it's that context that we have to look at. And, and I was thinking about that in terms of going to my own son's year seven parents evening in the first term of year seven and um and really as a parent wanting to hear about was he settling in was he happy what was he enjoying was he making friends and having you know one of the teachers you know unprovoked starting talking about how he might do in his GCSEs five years later and I think when we've got an education system that puts all of us the schools, the teachers, the head teachers, the parents and the young people under the pressure for years and years and years that these exams are the be all and end all, the most important thing. I think that is an incredibly anxiety provoking situation. And then when you get to those years, if you've had that for years, well, you know, picking your GCSEs is very important. You've got to um, um, start working harder now because your GCSEs are coming up next year or the year after. And then you get to that point and, and the whole thing is disrupted and you're online and you're in and out of school and there's no predictability. Of course, it's going to be anxiety provoking. But I think we have to think about the background context of that as well in terms of, of how we, we think about exams through our education, really. Mm. 
and I mean, we talked a bit about um, anxiety there and the anxiety connected to exams. Is that sort of the only mental health problem that we're seeing as a result of that that pressure or or are there other mental health problems um, coming out as well? Um, well, well, lots of mental health problems, yes, depression, self-harm. Um, um, I, I don't think it's a, a, a simple relationship, you know, I don't think it's that schools are causing mental health problems, but we do know um, that schools are one of the many factors which are, you know, contributing to the unhappiness, the anxiety, the eating disorders of young people. Um, and that might be also... Um, about the pressure in society generally, the pressure of living in a very visual society, very fast-paced society, um, a a society where there's lots of competition, lots of um, comparison. Um, I think it's about the pressure that young people get from their parents about their exam results. Um, So it's, you know, multi-layered really, and it's not a kind of simple nuance. It's not a simple relationship. It's a much more nuanced relationship in terms of how all these factors have gone in to create, you know, a mental health crisis in, 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 in children and young people at the moment, and particularly girls. We know that all young people are susceptible to mental health problems, but it seems that girls especially are struggling. Indeed, a survey of 15,000 secondary school students across the UK published in February found that girls aged 11 are now 30% more likely to suffer from a poor mental health than boys of the same age. By the time the girls reach 18, they are now more than twice as likely to experience poor mental health than boys of the same age. Here, Porter sheds light on why this might be and what we can do about it. Again, I don't think it's a simple... um... I think there's one answer to that. I think it's it's about multiple layers of pressure on girls and young women. I think traditionally in psychology and in mental health, we've we've known that girls, whether it's a sort of social construction or something innate, have tended to internalize their distress. So when things are difficult, they tend to turn it inwards. They tend to criticize themselves. They tend to harm themselves, um, you know, in deliberate self-harm or with something like an eating disorder. Whereas boys tend to more externalise their distress. So if boys are struggling, having a difficult time, if they're unhappy about things, they tend more to act out. And there seems to have been a number of different factors in society which have contributed to a sort of perfect storm of factors, a perfect storm for girls developing mental health difficulties. so, you know, I think the, um, the the very popular one to blame it all on, of course, is the phone at the moment. And, you know, I do think the phone, the, the social media has an impact. It is, it's, um, it's very visual. Um, there's a lot of comparison that goes on. We know that viewing images of perfect bodies impacts on people's body satisfaction, that impacts on people developing eating disorders. We know that even if girls glimpse images of um, perfect, so-called perfect bodies, it's it's more likely to make them dissatisfied with their own body. If it's dressed up as um, fitness, it still makes girls dissatisfied with their own bodies. So that's one factor, you know, so the phone, social media. But another thing, you know, I was just reading some statistics. There's a huge study in in Greater Manchester that... um, 
40,000 young people they, they've surveyed last autumn. So it's the most up-to-date statistics we've had. And what the statistics are showing is that girls take less physical activity than, than boys. So that's something we could think about in schools, I think. You know, why do girls take less physical activity? Girls' um, participation in physical activity falls off a cliff when they hit puberty. There's often a lot of dissatisfaction about how to, you know, cope with their boobs, how to cope with body hair. Are there sports that we're offering, physical activity that we're offering to girls? Are they based in a kind of um, a male context? Is it, is it, I often think that the sports that we offer girls and not, they don't tend to be sports that, that grown-up women choose. Um, so would we get more physical activity, which we know is really super protective for mental health um, and really good for your body image, you know, thinking back to what I was saying about social media, um, if we offered physical activities that girls were more in, inclined to join up to, we also know that girls are getting less sleep than boys from that study. So that's going to impact on mental health. So, you know, I'm just giving you a flavour of those sort of myriad of factors that have come together to impact on, on girls at this time. We add in the pandemic on top of that. There was something about the pandemic, um, which if we think about girls tending to internalise, we weren't going out in the world. We weren't having that broad perspective. We weren't um, seeing things in the distance, all our um, attention kind of came internally, didn't it? Came into our own homes, into our own bedrooms. And I think girls really struggled with, um, in, 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 if you like, overthinking, having so much time to be in their own mind and to find a really critical negative voice in their own mind at that time that they weren't, they weren't thin enough, they weren't pretty enough, they weren't smart enough, they weren't doing well enough in their exams. So, I mean, I'm just giving you a broad, you know, hundreds of factors have impacted, I think, but, you know, those are some of them. Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess with, with girls being kind of susceptible to all of those those different factors, you know, and thinking about some of them in, you know, things like um, the, the sort of the um, issues around perfectionism, perhaps, and, um, you know, being self-critical and, and looking inwards. D does that mean that when it comes to... Uh, you know, performance in exams and performance at school as a, a pressure, are they more sort of likely to struggle with that and more susceptible to that? I mean, is it is it something that they struggle with more as opposed to boys? I, I yeah, in my, I will sort of separate this from the statistics I was just giving you to giving you my opinion on that. And my opinion is, yes, I haven't, I don't know, that there's actually statistics on that. But um, my experience is that girls tend to take what their teachers say and what society says as um, more of a, a rule than, than boys, and they take it um, to heart. Um, so, you know, working with people with eating disorders, um, for example, when we see prepubertal, people with prepubertal eating disorders, so eating disorders that are arising in primary schools, um, sometimes they've said to me things like, well, it all started when we did healthy eating in school and they told me that we should do an hour's exercise and we shouldn't eat cake, cakes and sweets. And they've taken that very, very literally and they've come home and 
really exercised for a solid hour without <laughs> without any break um, and banned all the, the things that are bad foods, so-called. Um, so they, they tend, my experience is that girls tend to internalize those messages more and, and, and see them as shoulds and oughts and I must and, um, and then beat themselves up and they're not meet, meeting those standards. And I think that's another factor, you know, in terms of why the mental health crisis has uh, emerged over the last sort of 10 years, not just talking about the, about the COVID. It's just the number of standards that girls have to reach now, the number of rules they're taking on themselves. is just incredible in terms of, you know, likes and um, uh, exams and friendships and yeah, morals and all those different things that they, they standards they set themselves and standards that we communicate to them as adults as well. So often we tell young people that it doesn't matter how well they do as long as they've done their best. Here she explains why that might be problematic. I think over the sort of 20 plus years I've been doing this work what I've noticed is a sort of um, a ratcheting up of what doing your best means and actually I was thinking about it yesterday Helen just a strange memory came to mind where I, when I did a sort of an 11 plus exam a long time ago and um, when I went to do that 11 plus I, there was no tutoring there was no exam prep I could remember I had to wear a clean skirt and pull up my socks. That was what my that was my parents' preparation for me doing the eleven plus. And when we got into the exam, the the teacher who was running the exam said to us, "Oh, remember to dot your eyes and cross your t's." Mm. So that the the standard for me doing my best was pulling up my socks, crossing my eyes, and dotting my t's. Now, do you think any girl goes into an eleven plus exam now mm. with with doing your best meaning that? So there seems to be, a, you know, there's been, we know qualification inflation and a whole ratcheting up of the system so that as soon as one girl gets tutoring for the 11 plus, then everybody else feels they have to get tutoring. And what that has meant is it's, it just seems to have reached a, a boiling point where doing your best, I see young people where doing their best means doing every single bit of extension homework that their teacher even mentions. Or doing their best means, um, I can remember working with somebody over one summer and it was the, it must, I think it must have been the summer between year 10 and year 11 and really trying to wind her down from working all the time from getting up every morning, setting her alarm and working, working, working and always having a list of things to do and always having tasks to do. And then going back in on the, on the first day of school the teacher saying, well, this is a really important year this year. You've all got to work harder. No, she was already working so incredibly hard. And to her, that meant that she had to get up at quarter to five, set her alarm, have her book next to her bed, have um, her room covered in exam planners and um, posters of everything she needed to know. And so I think what, what doing your best means has just changed over a generation so I try and say to girls and thank you in my book one of the themes is you know to have a good life to have have your best life that we're all on a different path there isn't one mythical best that we all have to reach we're all finding what we're good at what we like what we enjoy um what's going to work for us and so that's the kind of language that I try to use Mm. 
I guess for teachers, perhaps thinking about, um, you know, who who they need to, to sort of look out for or kind of keep a close eye on um, with this kind of, uh, with these issues. Would you say that um, we see it as being more of a problem for um, girls or any students who are sort of perhaps the, the higher attainers in school? Or is it something that affects all pupils, but perhaps in different ways? Or, um, yeah, I'm just, just wondering whether it, it's something that the, those those students who are sort of already perhaps at the top of the class, are they more likely to have a problem with these with these issues? I think in those sorts of problems, yes. But as we know, Helen, that, that um, the education system is predicated on a third of kids failing their GCSEs. Um, so what we're talking about there is we're not talking about trying to get all kids to a standard where, which we can say all of these kids have got, have got good English and math skills. Um, and 100% of the year, year 11s are leaving the school with, with good standards. It's a, it's, a, it's a race to the top, isn't it? It's trying to get over that line where you've got a GCSE. And so I think at the top end with the high achievers, yes, there's, you know, you need to be aware that some of them, some of your pupils may be working too hard. The message isn't to all your pupils that they need to work harder, but some of your pupils are going to be disenfranchised from education. You know, they're not going to make it over the line. And I think what we know about, about, if you like, at that end of the, of the spectrum of work is that, um, you know, exclusion and mental health are intrinsically bound up together. There's a bi-directional relationship between those things. Um, and going into an environment, if you're going into school and you're constantly having the experience of failing, that is going to be a very de- depressing um, situation anyway. And we know that a third of the kids on, you know, that's built into the the exam bans isn't it yeah so um I think it's about there's not a one answer is there there's there's different problems at different you know that's why teachers are so amazing isn't it because they have to cope with all of those different problems within a school or within a class now of course mental health also affects young men and boys and while Porter works predominantly with girls she reflects on the challenges that boys face today. Well, as you mentioned in my um, my book's coming out shortly, and it's called "You Don't Understand Me," and um, I've written that it's for teenage girls and for young women, and so I'm really engrossed in the mental health of girls and young women. So I'm not sure I'm the best person to answer that question right now. Um, I also work in an eating disorder service, and so. Um, for my NHS work is in, in, within an eating disorder service. And so nine out of 10 people we see there are, are girls and young women. But I don't want to sort of forget boys because what we know is that um, young men, more young men die of, of suicide than, than young women. And so that says to me that young men are suffering, um, but we're not picking them up in the surveys. We're not seeing them as much in camps um and I don't know um of any there may be of the statistics of or any writing about trying to understand why that is why young men are taking their lives by suicide 
Um, and whether that is um, young men who are, have been disenfranchised by, by you know, the inbuilt third failure rate at school, or whether it's young men who are struggling in the same ways that we've talked about girls struggling in terms of perfectionism, in terms of high standards. I don't know. But I, I, I do think it's important that we keep young men's mental health on the agenda and try and understand that. I mean, your, more young men end up in youth offending teams. And I don't think that's going to be unrelated to mental health. Um, it's just a different way. As I said at the beginning, that kind of externalizing of pain, really, yeah. Yeah. Um, which can come out in sort of crime um, and, and violence more often amongst young men than young women. Clearly, this is a really complex area and it shouldn't be up to teachers to try and tackle the problems we're seeing with mental health on their own. But is there anything they can do to reduce the risk of students developing mental health problems in the first place? Or alternatively, make sure that things aren't getting worse for them? I, I really worried you go ask me that question, Helen. <laughs> I, I tell you why, because, you know, I, I offer therapy and advice to young young women and girls and young men. Um, and, I'm, you know, I'm not an educationalist in that sense that I'm not running a school or I'm not a teacher and so I'm um I don't think I'm qualified really to say I think um I think one thing one practical thing I can say is I think teachers you know for lots of young people you're very alive in their mind in young people's mind what what my teacher thinks of me is a very a concept that I talk a lot about in therapy or, or young people bring to me a lot in therapy. So I think thinking about your language and whether, whether it always has to be more and better and harder working or whether you want to encourage your pupils to have a really good life balance and find their own path and, and, and talking like that, I think is really important. I guess um, on a structural level, I was just thinking about this in terms of I'm a clinical psychologist and there's a huge competition, um, a really unhelpful competition to get into clinical psychology, to get on the training schemes. And um, young people, you, you know, sort of 24, 25, who are trying to get in to do the doctorate in clinical psychology have, you know, again, like many professions, had grade inflation over the years. So I know I wouldn't get on to do the course. My A-levels, my degree wasn't good enough now. Um, and I was thinking about, you know, is it possible that there is a standard that people have to reach and then it's a lottery? Would that be a less stressful system rather than people, this conveyor belt um, where they, young people feel they have to get the qualifications and they have to get the work experience and they have to get the accomplishments and they have to um, show a dedication for 10 years. I just don't think that's a way to have a childhood or a, a young adulthood. Um, I, I, um, I had a friend once who did medical training in the Netherlands. And I think for that, it was just that you had to, you had to pass a standard, which was good enough. And then, um, and then it was a lottery. It wasn't the sort of, um, the race to the top where uh, which really has led over the last 20 years to this ratcheting up of standards that now is making a whole generation mentally unwell in my opinion 
So I think, you know, <clears throat> structural changes like that might be worth thinking about um, because, you know, to be a clinical psychologist or, or a medic indeed, um, you, you know, you have to have a reasonable level of education and um, and, and intellect. But after that, there's lots of other skills which are more important. Um, so I, I, we need to be, you know, valuing those as well and finding ways to be more inclusive really rather than it there was an article recently I read and it said are we helping people along their path or are we doing a mass sorting exercise like a sorting kit kits into graduated more and more graduated uh standards of qualification I'd like to think about ways we could find a pathway yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, you know, uh, you know, sorry, sorry, putting you on the spot with that question. It's obviously it's 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 a really difficult one to comment on in terms of you know structural changes, and and I think teachers very much feel sort of in the same in the same boat with that. You know, they they are sort of working within the system that we have, and they don't they don't really have any power to sort of to to change that. Um, and so, you know, that, that's, that's a concern for them as well. I mean, we spoke a little bit there about the idea of, um, thinking about your language and and just being a bit cautious about, about how you present things. Obviously it's, it's not up to teachers to sort of try and and fix the, the issues we're seeing with mental health. That's not, not kind of their role, but is there anything else that they can do to sort of reduce the risk of, of students developing mental health problems or make sure things aren't getting worse, you know, within the system that we have yeah I mean I guess um there's lots of um schemes for you you know positive mental health that are going on whole I think whole school approaches can be really great and teaching skills for kids to manage the mental health difficulties they've got such as you know mindfulness and things like that um I think those are really important but they can be a little bit like adding um, water into a bucket which has got a hole at the end with the hole at the end being the exams but what we know the things we know are protective for mental health I guess are a sense of connection um, and a sense of being cared for and um, so we know that kids there was some great research the National Centre for Social Research did a study a few it was before the pandemic where they showed that kids who were happiest at uh, 11 went on to get um, the best GCSE, better GCSE results five years later, that there was a, a correlation between those those two factors and particularly kids who were happy at school. And being happy at school is often about having feeling like somebody cares for you, seeing, thinking that somebody's got your back. Um, you know, that sense of connection. So I think anything teachers do, and I know they do masses, and I know that many of them are you know, very unhappy with the education system and this focus on um, qualifications. Um, but anything they can do to make those relationships, it's, it's really super important. Yeah. And again, and I guess also trying to keep that, that mindset that we, we, about the, the ratcheting up. I mean, one of the other areas I talk about in my book um, it's about universities, about those kids who go to universities and the change that I've noticed in the way that kids talk about 
the universities and this idea that you have to get to the best university that you can possibly get to. And the best is seems only about whether they have the highest grade expectations. When did that change happen? <laughs> that was, you know, the, the kind of the idea of the, the Russell Group universities, you know, self-appointed group of universities who've decided that they're the best. And, um, and now everyone is buying into that kind of emperor's new clothes delusion that um, they have to get into a Russell Group University um, and that, you know, that getting uh, an A star or an A is going to be absolutely crucial because you might not get into the best university. What is the best university? I would say that best university is a university that you're going to be happiest at, that you're going to, you know, that might be about whether it's rural or whether it's in the city. It might be about whether it's got good nightlife. It might be about whether it's got lots of sports going on. It might be that you want to go to university which is closer to your home, or you might want to go to university miles away from your home. So I, I just think all of those sorts of things, you know, when teachers are talking to kids to keep in mind that actually in the scheme of people's lives, it makes very little difference whether they get an A star or an A or B. There's very few university courses that aren't available at those sort of lower grade bands, if you like. Um, if people are really dedicated on wanting to do something and um, they're they're, they're top university choice isn't available they can probably find a different university choice um if they can't get into it anywhere if it's something like medicine which is really really competitive they can always um have another shot a year later do something else for a year you know all those different ideas of this isn't the be all and end all this isn't the end of the road um in terms of what you get in your your qualifications there's lots of different pathways yeah, I mean, I think that's 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 really good advice, and I, I think that a lot of teachers would 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 agree with it. I think it's it's just it's um it's challenging, isn't it? Because it feels almost counterintuitive when you're sort of your you know your role is to help students achieve as sort of as as well as they can and to to sort of progress and 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 whatever. And thinking about kind of exam groups, obviously you know, to to say to them, oh, it doesn't matter if you get an A or not. I don't think it's saying, you know, it doesn't matter, you, you, you know, I think, it, but I think it's about not saying, well, do you want an A or not? Um, I mean, I've gone to um, parents' evenings where, um, <clears throat> with, with my older children, um, where, you know, they're getting an eight and the teacher goes, well, to get the nine, you need to do this. And we're like, do you know what? We're fine with the eight. The eight's, the eight's really good. Um, and and, and, and um, <laughs> my children don't like me talking about them, so I've got to be careful. But um, <laughs> every grade they got, um, they, they, they're not, they've got, you know, fours and fives, six, sevens. I think they've got every grade at that in, them, in their mocks. Um, you know, it was always like, what the next thing, what the next thing is. And, um, you know, is that really important? <laughs> um, if, if you know a child is really struggling with their mental health, is it really important that, that, that they go from a five to a six or a six to a seven, you know? Um, but anyway, on top of that, we know that happier kids do better in their exams. So I guess it's it's all about trying to sort of strike that balance, isn't it? Yeah, it's striking that balance. Yeah. Do they do they want to get a higher mark or, you know, are they gonna give up that, you know, 
topic and not do it at a level and they're just trying to get through it you know maybe it's that they're taking the sciences and they they don't love the sciences and they're going into the arts or or the languages or vice versa or whatever you know it's it's about trying to keep that balance about them not working all the time not feeling constantly under pressure not constantly feeling they've got to do better and more I and mean, if we think about that in our own lives, Helen, if we think about how it would be to go to work and to be constantly told, you know, that was a brilliant report you did. That was a brilliant article you did last week, Helen, but um, could you do it even better? Could you do it quicker? Could you do it um, to this standard, to that standard? You know, always wanting it to be more and better. It's a really depressing place to, 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 to live and work, isn't it? Oh, thanks, Tara. That's that's really, really helpful. I mean, um, I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to say just to to finish on if there's a message for teachers or for students even. Well, I, I suppose I do want to get the message about my my book out there. It's called You Don't Understand Me, and it's written to it's written to um girls and young women about their own mental health, about how to cope with school, how to cope with their parents, how to cope with families, friends, the whole the whole caboodle. Um, so just to highlight that. And that will be out uh, this month, next month. 14th of April. 14th of April. Great. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Tess Podagogy. We hope that you join us again next week.